This podcast contains explicit content and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Don't say we didn't warn you. Hello and welcome. My name is Madison. I'm Hannah. And you are listening to Who's Knocking? Yet another true crime podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, Hello again. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Here we are. Um, we're back at ya. Another episode. Interesting. This episode. This episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going down the paranormal road. I'm excited. Episode. Um, we've had a couple people request paranormal stuff, and it was our intention to do some some paranormal stuff as well. Yep. So I decided to go for it. Um, so I'm pretty pretty excited about this, and I'm gonna I'm trying to. This probably could be two episodes, but I'm gonna try to squeeze it into one so that if people are like, "No, we hate paranormal stuff," then we don't have two weeks of it. Okay, um, but let us know if you like it. Yeah, or don't. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this we, I I. Uh, I'll just say, like, during this intro, like, I received a pretty interesting email recently, or we did at at our email at hello at whosknockingpodcast.com. Um, a, a person, I won't, like, disclose who who this is in case they don't really want to be named or whatever, but a person reached out who uh, um, who is somewhat close with some of the people involved in the Adam Strong case, and... This person was like really nice and told me some extra information about the Adam Strong case that I'm intending on looking into. Um, and we went back and forth for a little bit and they were super nice and seemed to like the podcast that we put out on Adam Strong, which is really, really cool to hear that somebody involved with other people within the case was happy with our portrayal of that. I was like really pleased to hear that. Um but all I'll say is like, if, if what this person is saying is, is true, which I, you know, obviously have to look into, but Adam Strong is far worse than we had originally even thought. I'm literally not surprised at all. And we thought he was horrific. Yeah. I heard he thought he was really bad. Uh, so I, you know, would really like to look further into this and do a little bit more research, but shocking information to say the least. And, you know, it's, it's weird. Like anybody can email you and say whatever they want. Um, so I take normally everything with a grain of salt. If you are, you know, just meeting somebody online. Yes. We are children of the internet era. Yeah, We were raised with a lot of caution around that. Yeah. A lot. I guess it's like, who are these people who are just like meeting people online and being like, tralala, like this is my boyfriend online now. Like that, like that people is did that and they turned out to be murderers. It's shocking how many people did that. And got murdered. And like I understand how all these kids get like remember like to catch a predator. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Uh Hansen, what's his name? That was a good show. I love I Chris Hansen, yeah. Chris Hansen. I got really into that show for <laughs> such a good show. I think we used to watch it together. Did we? I think so, yeah. It's very possible. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like all these like coming in with like beer and pizza. And it's like, it's like, hey, I'm just upstairs. Like the kids always come on in. And then it's the guy. Oh, yeah. And like, I understand how kids fall for that kind of stuff because they're dumb, but like, yeah. Grown adults. Yeah. It's whack. Anyways, lots of predators on the internet. So stay safe. Yeah, clearly. Um, so yeah, so that I think I thought was like super interesting and hopefully we can find some more stuff and maybe do some sort of follow-up. I don't know. Yeah. I think it would be cool if we did follow-ups on episodes. Yeah. We got new information. We could do that. I mean, depending on if we had enough content to do like a whole episode, maybe we do some sort of live somewhere to chat about it. And if people are interested, they could join. I don't know. We got to start some sort of little community here. And if anybody has thoughts or opinions on that, share it with us. I don't know. We don't know what we're doing. We're just making it up. So, uh, yeah, that was super interesting. And and that's all for my intro. I will stop now. Okay, let's start with the episode. I'm so excited. This is a paranormal episode. This episode is about the Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. Now, this is you pretty- already know. You already know from the name. It's gonna yeah, be it's creepy. So creepy. Why was it? No, was it called that after creepy things happened there, or was it called that originally? Because it is not called that originally. It, okay, that okay. is a name given to it due to okay, that's fine then. situations that occurred on that ranch. And okay, in terms of that's rating fine. this, I don't know how to rate it because I personally don't really find it scary. Yeah, I'm not. I'm also super skeptical of yeah. a lot of sh- stuff. Um. So in terms of like the like fear factor of it all, I'm going to say like four, but I think it's like super interesting. Um, And if you're into like UFOs, paranormal stuff. um, Yes. Like maybe even into like, like the Bigfoot type. Do you know anything about Bigfoot? Yeah. yeah, A little bit. I don't, I, I didn't know anything about anything before I started looking into this. This Is that in this? In a way, maybe. Okay. In a way, maybe not. We're getting a lot. We're getting a yeah, lot here. We're getting a lot here. Cool. Um, so with that, here is a story of the Skinwalker Ranch. So the Skinwalker Ranch is located just southeast of Ballard, Utah, in West Uinta County. And it borders the Ute Indian Reservation. It is approximately <clears throat> definitely haunted. Uh, I think many people would agree with you. It is approximately 512 acres and it has become famous for paranormal and UFO sightings. For this episode, I read the book called Hunt for Skinwalker and it's by a guy named Colm A. Keller and he put PhD beside his name. So I guess he wants you to know that. Um, (laughs) They always do. (laughs) Yeah. And George Knapp. So Colm is a biochemist who specializes in cell and molecular biology. And you will hear a lot more about him later. He's a central character in the book. So I'll just leave it at that for now. Um, And George is an award-winning investigative journalist and conspiracy theorist. Mm, I like that. Who became well-known in the 80s for reporting on the story of Bob Lazar. Do you know Bob Lazar? No. So he, I really don't know very much about him. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast and I started listening to it and then like oh. a little, it kind of went over my head and I don't know. I feel like you got to be like somewhat knowledgeable about kind of stuff. But I I think the main claim is that he claims that he 
worked on extra, extraterrestrial UFOs and stuff at Area 51. Oh, that's crazy. If it's and true. so he, he's got a lot of stories and he's got, I don't know, he's it's a weird situation. Okay. But anyway, he's got a lot of stuff. Um, and so these guys wrote a book based on their experiences at the ranch. And so that's like kind of the main perspective I'm going to be taking. But I also used a lot of other sources. And also I'll get into a little bit about um, criticisms of, of the book and of their views and whatever. Okay. And I, this guy is like, is apparently a conspiracy theorist. I am not well versed in the conspiracy theorist realm. I don't, I don't believe in conspiracy theories or not believe in conspiracy <gasps> theories. I just haven't really, like I've heard of a few of them, but it's, I'm not typically prone to like believing in things as a grand conspiracy. I'm more think usually things that like something happened and then like the, levels of covering up of like maybe uh compounded or something i don't know but i think conspiracy theories are super interesting and i love yeah. hearing about them they um, are interesting so setting the stage there so skinwalker ranch is located in the middle of the uinta basin um and since about 1950 ish there have been thousands of ufo sightings in the uinta basin making it one of the biggest hotspots for UFOs in the world. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard certain areas of America are really known for it. Yeah, and you, you like the main question is why? Why in this yep. specific location? And I think we'll get into what some people believe is happening. Yeah, why I'm sure there's explanations for it. One spot. Um, it kind of feels like the spots are kind of random, but it's like there'll be a hotspot for it based yeah. on, on um, their theory. Um, uh, so according to Colm and George, the authors of the book, approximately 90 to 95% of UFO sightings are misidentifications, which makes sense. Um, but even with those numbers, there still remains a very large amount of unexplained sightings in the Uinta Basin. Yeah. The numbers would be in the thousands, maybe even tens of thousands at this point. Okay. So somewhere along the way in about 1951, a retired teacher named junior hicks started to document sightings and uh the first known sighting was by a teacher and a group of about 30 students who all claimed they saw the same thing okay it was a very large cigar shaped object sitting on the ground so it was on the ground um and since then hicks started to study the phenomena and he took accounts from locals uh and like gathered a lot of them and by the 70s, he'd cataloged more than 400 sightings that he believed were credible. And this was after discounting thousands of others that he believed could be explained. That's a lot. It's a lot for a very, very small specific area. And he said that a lot of the people who spoke to him, and you'll see a lot of this in the story, for whatever reason, a lot of these people do not want involvement. They do not want their names out there. They want to I think that anonymous. makes sense. Yeah, I guess I, I would have thought that a lot of but I guess it's probably a lot of the fake sightings are people who like want notoriety for it yeah but it's it seems it just seems more credible when people are like I don't like don't put my face on this and I also think that like sometimes if you do experience something that's like very creepy you don't want to think about it and put it out there and repeat it necessarily yeah and especially too if it like scares you and you think yes maybe it's gonna like follow you or something yes exactly yeah um, I, I think I've seen an alien before and it was pretty creepy. So do you really? 
Yes, but I don't want to talk about it. Really? <laughs> I'll tell you about it later. Oh my god, that's, that's so cool. Why? I think like, I have. I don't know. Well, I have no. I have no like proof that it was. It was just, just like a weird feeling. It's just really annoying that you've like, seen ghosts and aliens, and yeah. I've seen literally nothing. Yeah, I've seen a ghost for sure. And it's like I feel like I'm one of those people who like literally watched you a ghost, and I'm but like, you don't hey, believe it. Like, yeah, don't. And I'm like, didn't even know. I don't know. I didn't used to believe in it. Like, I never believed in ghosts until I lived in a haunted. Um, I lived in two haunted apartments, and I never believed in it. But then it happened, and now I really believe in it. So I don't know. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll just encounter one. I don't know. You need to go live in like a really old. I don't know. Did you say like we city. or you? Because no, I'm me. not going. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going there. I'm just going to go plump myself down at uh, Fox Hollow Farm. Yeah. I mean, that could be fun. They seem. They seem pretty chill over there. Yeah. They don't seem that bad. Anyway. So. So the big question that I was just asking before is why are, are uh, other life forms so drawn to this one specific area? And yeah. Hicks, the guy who's who is studying it, he has a few theories. So one was that the um, he thought that or he mentions the people of the region hold all hold very strong religious beliefs. The area is made up of very devout Mormons and uh, indigenous Native Americans. Um, primarily, it's the Ute tribe. And they're the indigenous people of the region. And they also hold really strong religious views. And then there's also the Navajo people who inhabited for a very long time. And I don't really know if they're still around, but it's mostly right now the Utes that are in the area. Two, the area has uh, a large, a very large gilsonite deposits. And it's one of the only places in the world for that. Gilsonite is used in paints and varnishes and lacquers and insulating materials, and it's super valuable to humans. And he says he's even had reported sightings of non-human entities taking samples from the ground. I've never heard of that that material. It's only it's found in very few places, and it's just like like I don't it's not like an oil. I don't know if it is an oil. Yeah, like what's something that you mine? Oh, okay. Um, I'm just wondering if it has properties of something that like an alien would want to use. I guess it would depend on the alien. Okay. You know, I like, know. I don't know. Um, know. If they're painting a lot, if, they're, if, they, have, if they use a lot of varnish, then maybe. Um, and the number three, the theory that he believes most strongly, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of, like you'll see in the story, a lot of other people kind of believe this one too, is that there is some sort of psychological experiment designed to see how humans react. And he I claims believe that, that um, a lot of sightings include like light shows and displays. And there's been at least two seemingly credible incidents where people have claimed that they were actually abducted. Hicks believes that it's possible that aliens are coming down to this one location to perform experiments and conduct research on humans. Oh, like aliens are doing the experiments. Okay. I thought yes. it was more like human, other humans are doing that experience. experience. Well, so I think the more like the skeptical, um, I think like one of the things that a lot of people start to think when they experience all these things is that like the military is doing experiments on humans yeah, or whatever, yeah. or it's like the kind of skeptical thing to think like, it's not real. It's just like the military, they always think it's the military. I don't know why, but. Or like the CIA. Yeah. They think that like some government agency is like doing experiments on humans. Yeah. They think that um, it's aliens who are like coming down and trying to do experiments on us. And then it's okay. 
in the story like th- then people will start doing experiments on them and it's just like maybe like it's kind of going back and forth which is kind of yeah because isn't that what humans do too is experiment on the aliens well and like try to document them and stuff which is what we will see here okay so i'll give you a little history on the uinta basin it's got a pretty interesting history the uinta basin is a vast beautiful but very challenging environment and it's been inhibited by indigenous tribes for more than 12,000 years. Um, but then in 1861, Abraham Lincoln created the Uinta Indian Reservation that encompassed most of the basin. And this was done because there had been so many armed conflicts recently between the Ute tribe and the Mormons who'd recently decided to settle in the area. And so they were fighting and fighting. And the specific bordering of the area um, meant that the Utes had to move from where they were in the beginning uh, or where they were originally, which was like very vast Greenlands or whatever. And they had to move 150 miles east to a much harsher section of the basin. Typical government. (laughs) Very typical. And then they were promised that this land would remain in their possession forever. Oh, and did it? No, it did not. (laughs) I was just about to ask. Do you think you think it remained in their possession? Absolutely. That's so fucked up. It did not, um, which is dreadful. Um, yeah. So soon the white settlers found the rich deposits of black hydrocarbon, which would later be named gilsonite. Okay. And once miners started getting interested in the gilsonite, the land began getting parceled into smaller pieces and getting sold to miners and generally in like pretty shady ways. Yep. Soon, the miners uh, petitioned Congress to turn more than 7,000 acres of the reservation land into public land so that it could be mined. And Congress was like, yeah, for sure, totally. Um, And the indigenous people who owned the land were paid $20 per acre. And those who did not want to sell were either tricked or bribed or threatened into selling their land. So pretty typical story. Right. So this new designation led to a bunch of violence as the Utes were obviously upset about this. And so naturally the conflict conflict ensued and extra military was brought in and it was a huge mess. But very interestingly, and I'm really not sure by what mechanism this was able to happen, but this new designation, for whatever reason, inadvertently exempted those 7,000 acres from any official control or land enforcement. Okay. And I don't know if this was because technically it was like native land or whatever. I know like technically on land that is for um, like that is supposed to be for indigenous people. I, at least I think here, I think they have their own policing and stuff. Okay. So maybe it's because of that. I'm not quite sure, but it basically became um, this like weird little wild west where people started um, putting up like saloons and brothels and um, outlaws would go and hang out there because police couldn't do anything about it. When was this? This was, um, it would have been in in the late 1800s. Okay. Um, yeah. N- a simpler time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it it was like a big spot for like drinking and like all the soldiers would like hang out there and like it was kind of like a no man's land. So like generally there wouldn't be like 
people yeah. hung out with each other. You could just do whatever you wanted, basically. Yeah, and like <laughs> races mixed, which was like super um, controversial mm. back then and everything. Yeah. Um. So there was this uh, there was a ravine in the area that became the dumping spot for empty liquor bottles, and it became so full of liquor bottles that it got the name Bottle Hollow. And in the seventies, it was filled in with water, and then like this is just the icing on the fucking cake. But um, in the seventies, it was filled in with water, and it was given to the youths as an apology for the time that they had that the government had diverted the tribal water from uh, for the Central Utah Water Project. So like one time, the government took their mm-hmm. water to like I don't know, put somewhere else, and then they're like, here, take this, like this this like shitty ravine that was so full of garbage it got named bottle hollow but now it's got water in it like you can have it sorry thanks guys we forgive you now it's like crazy how uh how shitty they just treated these people like it's insane yeah still do yeah yeah for sure um but it's a big part and you know you'll you'll see it's a big part of this whole story so anyway now the um bottle hollow ravine is a popular fishing spot okay and this is also kind of random but it's located directly beside the skinwalker ranch Mm -hmm. but this reservoir has also a bit of a weird and mysterious legacy of its own Hmm. apparently the utes have always believed that the water is home to one or more large aquatic snakes oh love that so random (laughs) um and there have been sightings of this creature by people, again, who wish to remain anonymous. And people in the area believe that these giant snake-like creatures are the reason for the unusually large amount of drowning deaths in this water. Oh, and there's scary. also been, yeah, I, so that's just weird. That, the, to me, it's like, okay, just weird, like, why are so many people drowning here? Yeah, that is really weird. Are a lot of people drowning there? An, an unusually large amount. That is really weird. And are these drownings like never witnessed? Um, they seem to be sketchy. People think mm-hmm. that there's large aquatic snakes causing them. Okay, well, so. I, I take it back. I thought the snakes were like nice snakes. No, no. They don't no, sound like, that nice anymore. Killer large aquatic snakes, which yeah, that's not good. should not exist there. Um, and apparently there's also been many settings of unusual lights going in and out of the water. So today, Uinta County is home to little more than 35,000 residents, most of whom are white Mormons, and about 10% are Ute Indian. Um, the region is unusually rich with hydrocarbon-bearing materials such as oil, oil shale, tar sands, and coal. So it's highly populated with miners. Um, but it's also highly populated with cattle farmers and ranchers. Okay. And this is where Terry and Gwen Sherman come in. So the Shermans purchased Sherman Ranch, which will later be called Skinwalker Ranch. But I guess in this time or this area, or for whatever reason, like you bought a ranch, you called it your last name, Ranch. Yeah. So that's why it's called Sherman Ranch. They bought it in 1994 and they got a very fair price for it. So I think that's code for like a good deal. Um, And they were very impressed by the property. They considered themselves very lucky to have found such a perfect home to settle in. They were super happy with it. The Shermans consisted of Terry and Gwen and they had two kids, a boy and a girl. Um, And the ranch, it would need a lot of work, but the family were up for the challenge and um, 
they were just going to settle in and be ranchers. And I believe they they were Mormons as well. And so they they moved from, I think they moved from New Mexico to like be somewhere that was like Mormon friendly and they could do their, their uh, cattle ranching. They were cattle ranchers and they would soon bring in Tom's herd of prize registered cattle to live and graze in the huge fields. Tom was a very skilled rancher and had a reputation for raising top quality cemental and black angus show cattle and he was apparently he was su- like really really good at this most people um some it's something like they lost like a certain percentage of their herd of cattle over like the winter or whatever and he he would lose like a much smaller percentage like he was known to be a very very talented cattle rancher And basically the family's entire livelihood came from that herd. So needless to say, they really cared about this herd of cattle and they were well looked after. So when the Shermans first looked at the property, when they were looking to buy it, they noticed a few strange things about the ranch. Um, For one, every door had several large heavy duty deadbolt locks on both the inside and the outside of the doors. That's weird. All of the windows were bolted and barred and at either end of the home, there were large metal chains that were very securely attached to the walls. These presumably would have been to kept to keep like big guard dogs. Oh, the Shermans definitely noticed these things and they understood what this implied, which I think was fear. And uh, they were happy with everything else and they were happy with the price. So they just decided to assume that the previous owners were just overly paranoid people and they just overlooked it. Were they right? That they were over. Um, you'll see. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to give it away. But um, Fair. The owners also included a really weird clause in the real estate contract, which was the Shermans basically agreeing that they would not dig on the land without any prior warning to the previous owner. So they're basically saying, you have to ask us if you want to dig on the land. Why? What are they going to find? And yeah, that's that's why it was so it's like, who would put that? Can you even uh, like legally find that? Like that's. You can't sell somebody something and be like, you can't dig on it. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah. So they thought we were like, that's super odd. But they're like, okay, that's really weird. We'll just ignore it. Oh my God. Okay. Red flags. The Shermans, however, would soon be very sorry that they overlooked these things. Hmm. And it wasn't long into living at Sherman Ranch that they had their first unexplainable experience. Wow. It was very, very soon into Excuse me. I had a a beef cabbage soup recently, and it's all coming up. So shortly after moving into the new ranch, Terry started bringing in his prized Angus cattle. He began with the calves. Can I just say right now that I really hope nothing bad happens to the cattle? I'll just say. (laughs) And I definitely don't think I'm right. So many bad things happen to the cattle. And also, trigger warning, to some dogs no <laughs> sorry it's like right. included in every one of my episodes so like terrible things happen to dogs <sighs> I, I don't like it but like it just happens okay and i also yeah okay i won't go any further but anyway 
do do do. So my dog, one of my dogs is with me as we speak. Yeah, don't let him hear. I won't let him hear. <laughs> Cover his ears. So on the day that he brought the first bunch of the calves, uh, the whole family was there, and I think his uh, Terry Sherman's father was there as well. Okay. And so they were out, you know, putting cattle and stuff, and like they had the truck and whatever. And the entire family noticed this very large, odd-looking creature off in the distance. Oh. The animal approached and seemed super tame. Terry thought that it looked most like a wolf, but it was at least three times as big as any wolf, and it really didn't move like a wolf. Like, oh my god, he couldn't really put his finger on. Like, it was, it was just like you could tell it was not a wolf, but like they're like, what? I don't know what else this would be. It's a fucking wolf. Uh-oh. So the family all stood there watching as this wolf thing got closer and closer. And Terry started to think, maybe this is somebody's pet because it seems so gentle and tame. My God. Finally, the creature approached very close to the family and they noted its gray silver coat. It had huge muscles and these like weird piercing blue eyes that were like almost human-like. And it it seemed like a weird calmness was felt by the entire family. And they like quietly observed this like super strange animal. And even, I think they even like reached out and pet it. And, but it was like, it was kind of like everyone was like in a trance. And then all of a sudden the wolf leapt over to the pen wolf. I'm air quoting, um, containing the calves. And one of the calves had its head sticking out through the bars. And it was, it was like watching the creature and all of a sudden, the wolf grabbed the calf by the head and oh, began no. biting it and trying to pull it through the bars. And Terry's like, okay, fucking no, not my cattle. And so he and his father started beating the wolf. Whoa. And they got a baseball bat and tried hitting it. But the wolf just barely seemed to notice that they were doing anything and kept pulling at the calf, who's like screaming. And everyone's like, oh, my God. And so Terry got his magnum, which is, for people who don't know guns, like a very powerful handgun. Okay. Uh, from the back of his truck, and he shot the wolf from a very close range. And the wolf still appeared completely unfazed. And after a few more shots, the wolf finally released the calf. And then Terry got his rifle. So he just got another gun. This is a yeah. rifle, it's like a hunting gun. Um, and the wolf started looking at the family, still super unfazed. Um, and Terry started shooting it with the rifle and like flesh apparently began to fly from this wolf's wolf's body what the fuck but it just kind of ba- walked backwards away and then like trotted off and there was no sign that it felt the bullets and the family was just just stood there and, and and was the calf the fuck? fucked up like when they looked at the calf i mean was it-, it had been bitten yeah but it was alive like the the bites were there it was yes yes it wasn't it wasn't nothing something injured the calf it's crazy so they're like okay the fuck um and then it was only a few weeks later when gwen had another run-in with this wolf thing this time she was in her car and i believe she's on the property at this point i'm not actually sure but it walked right up to her window and off in the distance she said she noticed another animal this was a black and dog-like and it was big but not as big as the wolf-like thing and she said that its head seemed way too big for its body. Oh, like my it's dog. Like, yeah, except for this is not cute. I don't know. This seems like creepy and really fucked up. Yeah, it's creepy. And so apparently Gwen sped off as quickly as she could. And the wolf thing chased alongside her for a bit. And then just like eventually dipped. 
Um, and so, so weird. They started asking their neighbors, like, did there wolves around here? And the neighbors told, apparently some neighbors told them that there were a pack of wolves that did live on the property. Um, but then after the second incident, Gwen went to speak with somebody at the tribal office about the animals. And they said that there were no wolves in the area and hadn't been for a really long time. And they, they were like, you you must be confused and you must have seen a coyote. And she's like, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like a wolf either, really. No. But so to me, this, this uh, discrepancy, like they talked to some neighbors and they said that a wolf pack lived there. And then they went and talked to the tribal office. And you'll learn later, the you people will not step foot on the Skinwalker Ranch. Oh. And you'll see why. But I think like some other neighbors and people around do experience similar things that that the Skinwalker Ranch does. Whereas the you people do not go there. Right. And thus do not run into these wolf-like creatures. And there are – apparently at the time there were no wolves in the area. I think they were reintroduced at another right. time. But at the time there were no wolves. So, sorry. I'm very <laughs> pregnancy out of breath. <sighs> so more strange things started happening in and around the home. Okay, It seemed like – Gwen was constantly misplacing things that she deliberately remembered. Typical haunting. Setting down in one yep. place or another. Um, initially, she thought that one of the kids was messing around with her. But then one day, Terry stormed into the house, super angry, demanding to know who had taken his post digger. Um, and to those of you who don't know what a post digger is, I also don't know what a post digger is. But it's well, all you have to know is like it's a very large piece of uh, equipment used to like dig holes, to put posts in, to deal with fence fences okay that makes sense um and it's a huge like 70 pound piece of equipment it's not like a little thing um and so gwen and the kids who had been inside the house for at least three hours were all confused um terry had been outside mending the fence with it and he went to his truck to grab a wrench and by the time he got back it had disappeared is what he said weird and interestingly like according to them um, days or even weeks later, he found it in a tree. That is really weird. Which he clearly didn't put it there. And the same thing happened a few days later with a pair of pliers. Both times, the whole family helped look for the missing tool, but both times they were nowhere to be found. And then like later, it is found in the tree. Um, it was then that Gwen finally admitting, admitted that she had been experiencing the same thing. As I said, she would put things down and it disappeared. One time she said she went to the bathroom to have a shower and she knew she brought a towel in with her. But when she got out of the shower, the towel was gone. And she's like, that. okay, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't bring it in or whatever. But then later she found it in the freezer. And I do like, not like that. No, that is, that to me is like one of the most creepiest things. That's creepy. Um, the next occurrence happened when a nephew was visiting the family. Excuse me. Mm. So sorry. <laughs> so all the guys were out working on the property. So that would have been Terry and his son and this nephew. And they saw some lights coming from what looked like an RV out in the distance. Okay. And they were like, oh, it's trespassers on the property. Um, and Terry began to approach them to tell them to get off their property. And the vehicle began to move. And he was really worried because, like, there's tons of fences and, like, enclosures. And, you know, once you have a break in the fence, it's just a big thing to deal with. Um, so he didn't want the RV to, like, go smashing through the fences. 
Um, but so he started to approach it and the vehicle began to move, but it moved very smoothly over what would have been like a very uneven ground. And like, he was like, oh, that's too smooth. <clears throat> Almost as if it were hovering. Oh. And all the guys started to chase it. Um, and as I said, like their biggest fear is that it would drive through the fences. But as they stood there, they real they they saw the RV just seem to like leap over the fences instead. Oh my God. And when the RV approached the tree line at the edge of the property, they all watched as it rose up and flew off into the distance. Whoa. So this incident freaked the boys out. Needless to say, that nephew left and never came back. Yep. Um, and it was around this time that the Shermans began to learn about what everyone else in town apparently already knew and thought about their property, which. Okay. Honestly, the fact that they're all like, they're all experiencing it. And at the same time is really creepy. It's not just one person. And my like skeptical mind is like, okay, yeah, they're all um, like one family. Maybe they're just going to say this for whatever reason, but I think. Yeah. But if everybody in the area knows about it and the last owners had like the chains and everything. Yeah, and it's weird because the last owners <clears throat> later I'll tell you like they claim that nothing ever happened, but it's like why was your why did you have all those locks then? Yeah. So, what like that's literally there's an explanation for that. You wouldn't just have that. And apparently, too, the people who owned it previously, they didn't live on it or work on it, and that's why it had kind of gone into um like a state where like needed a lot of work. Yeah. They had like owned it and I think maybe they were renting out some of the land to to other people for like cattle or whatever. I don't know that for sure. Um but I know that they were not living on it. They were just like kind of maintaining. Yeah, it. yeah obviously they didn't want to live there. And like perhaps it's because they experienced some of these things. I don't know. <clears throat> I wouldn't want to live there. They are unfortunately dead now so they they don't have anything to say for themselves. Damn. Um yeah, so, so as I was saying, everybody in the town already knew about this property, which to them at the time also bore the name Skinwalker Ranch. No, oh, did it now? It did. And here's why. Yeah, okay, tell me. Well, first I'm going to tell you a little bit about Skinwalkers. What is a Skinwalker, you might hmm, ask? I would love to know. I'll tell you. So in the Navajo and Ute culture, among many other indigenous peoples, Skinwalkers are one of the most feared entities, apparently. Mm, yeah. The name is very scary. They are said to be evil, shape-shifting witches mm. able to transform into or wear the skin of any animal. And wolves seem to be the most common. It is, I think I've heard of these before. It's possible. I had not heard of what a skinwalker was before learning about the skinwalker ranch, but I learned about the skinwalker ranch years ago. Um, but it is said that skinwalkers are usually corrupted medicine men. So it's like people okay. who were medicine men and then they like become evil for whatever reason. And so then they become a skinwalker. And so that's kind of like the dichotomy. Is that the right word? Like the medicine man versus the skinwalker. Oh, like it's, it's kind of like, uh, they're like opposite. It's like the dark passenger kind of thing. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know what that is. It's from Dexter. Oh, yeah, I haven't. Uh, I started Dexter. I never finished it. I, hmm. I would have thought you'd liked it. I know. It's like right up my alley. So I don't yeah. know what, what happened there. But that was like 2013. And I was. It gets bad. But the first few seasons are really, really good. 
And then the fifth season is has a good twist. Unpopular opinion, maybe, but I think most shows should just be cut off after season five. Yeah. You've had your run. Most of them get really bad. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so apparently becoming a skinwalker requires this initiation ritual. Okay. And it requires that a person must kill a friend or family member, usually a sibling, in order to become a skinwalker. Why would anyone want to do that? Because they're evil. Okay. They're just evil people or evil witches, basically. Got it. Skinwalkers are said to have powers. They can read people's minds and control their thoughts. They can acquire like superhuman speed and strength. They can also cause disease or illness or destroy property and even cause death. There is a long history of skinwalkers among the Navajo people in particular. So I'll give you a little history here because it's pretty interesting. In 1864, the Navajo people were removed from their land by the U.S. Army again. Um, Of course. And they were moved on foot to New Mexico. And it is said that this move and all of the issues that came from it caused a large number of Navajo people to become skinwalkers. Oh. And those skinwalkers terrorized the rest of the tribe. Is that how, like, Americans became serial killers? um like that's their version american version of it it's it basically is like being a serial killer like among the like indigenous theories or whatever yeah um so i don't know it's like very it's just interesting because very like it's it's like witches and like you know it's their own like little witches situation like um sorry like what happened in salem and everything you'll see um But anyways, four years later, the government admitted their mistake and allowed the Navajo people to return to their land. That's nice. But the Navajo people were convinced that there were still witches living among them, which caused a lot of unrest in the community and led to the Navajo witch purge of, I think this was 1878, which is uh, exactly what it sounds like. It was 40 Navajo people who were suspected of being witches were rounded up and killed. What was the... Do you know, like, why they were suspected of it? Um, I would assume that it was, like, kind of the same as, like, what happened in Salem. People who they thought were weird or whatever, they were like, you're a witch. We're going to burn you. And, like, maybe some of these people were doing bad things. Who knows? But I doubt doubt all of them were witches. Usually during witch purges, a lot of innocent people get thrown into that kind of mix. That's just a guess of mine. But they killed 40 people over this witchery stuff. So the Ute and Navajo tribes have lived on this in the same vicinity for a very long time and had a varied history with one another. And now look, I I went to many sources to get this information and a lot of it had like, like little differences, little varying differences. Mm -hmm. So this is what I've found to be the most um, repeated. Please correct me if I'm wrong about this people of YouTube, Apple and Spotify. Um, but it was at one point that the U people began capturing Navajo people and selling them as slaves. And that led the Navajo uh, to put a curse on the, on the Skinwalker Ranch land and surrounding U territory. Um, and so the it definitely gi- seems cursed. So that tracks. Yeah. And apparently like the Ute people were like in with the government and on the government side. So that's why they were against the Navajo people. Like there was some conflict and back and forth and it's like, who knows who started it? I'm not sure. Right. Um, 
And so the giant wolf-like creatures that the Shermans saw on their property would have been an example of the skinwalkers. And that's why the Ute people do not allow their own people to go on that land because of the curse. And typically, um, typically skinwalkers, according to them, only really bother um, indigenous people or Native American people. But clearly we're seeing, if, if we are seeing skinwalkers, they are bothering uh, white people. So it's kind of leaking over, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so what I was saying was these like wolf-like creatures would have been an example of a skinwalker. Although I'm okay. sure some people would see it and be like, it's Bigfoot. Which is where I don't you think also... so. Bigfoot is Bigfoot stands on like two legs. He's not. Yeah, but I think the, this wolf-like creature like could have, and like I think I think you do get a lot of crossover. I think people there's a lot of people in the area who claim they see Bigfoot, and then like people are like, no, that's a skinwalker, or whatever. Like oh. th- they're kind of similar looking, mysterious entities. Um, I don't think we'll really get into a lot of Bigfoot stuff, but I started looking into a lot of Bigfoot stuff, and it's kind of weird. Hmm, you should tell me about it. Yeah, I will. Maybe we'll get into it. Okay. Um, and yeah, so apparently there's been a lot of like white families uh, encountering large, hairy, man-like creatures that like run alongside their cars. Um, it's and, really like, creepy. So it's like, and they that's sound like where they don't do too much damage, at least at this point. Like they're just kind of there, other than the cattle. Yeah, it's unclear, and it seems like they they like create. A, they, they apparently, and I read this in only one place, but apparently, if you're a skinwalker, you can only transform like four times ever. So it's like mm-hmm. a really rare occurrence. Um, and they are said to be super evil, but at the same time, like they don't, they really didn't do, they, they, that one tried to like kill the cattle, but yeah, other than that, that so far. they kind of just seem to like lurk about. But maybe that's because they're white, so they're not. That's true. And, and that's what I was just starting to think. Like, maybe it's because they're not, like, the curse was not put on the white people of the area. The curse right. was specifically for the Navajo people. Yeah. Or this, this curse was specifically for the Ute tribe. So maybe they just, like, creep out white people, but, like, do actual damage within their own communities. Right. Or maybe they're not real at all. I don't know white privilege once again yeah exactly um let's see so back to the shermans terry had started to walk around the property at night in an attempt to figure out what all this was about and i wouldn't do that (laughs) i would walk around at night with i'd have a gun like i don't know yeah he had yeah everyone has guns yeah, there is. He's he's got two like within arm's reach. Yeah. Okay. Um, but clearly they didn't really seem to do much. They did like yeah. the skinwalk the wolf thing did walk away, but like there was no blood. But one night when he was doing his like nightly walks, an aircraft appeared out of nowhere. And it he said it was approximately 30 to 40 feet long and completely silent. So creepy. And it was creating multicolored lighting. That he could see brightly in the snow. How winter. close was it? Um, close enough to see. I don't. I don't really know. But like close enough to see, but like somewhat in the, the distance. distance. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't like right there. It wasn't like in his face. Um, 
but it was like on the property in okay. the sky. Um, and he said that uh, it looked or felt like an the aircraft was searching for something. Oh. A turning point for Gwen happened one night when she was home alone. Terry was away for a few days and the kids were both staying with friends and she was driving onto the property and noticed mm-hmm. a giant triangle in the sky with matte black wings that created multicolored lights on the ground. And the triangle thing hovered over her car as she drove in. Oh, creepy. And so later that night, and this this triangle, specifically triangle-shaped hovering object mm-hmm. is uh, seen multiple times by multiple people. Later that night, Gwen was in the kitchen and she looked out the window to see another RV-type vehicle. Inside the vehicle, she swore she saw a person sitting at a desk in what looked like a black uniform with some type of headgear that I am assuming obstructed the face of this person, mm-hmm. person or being. And this scared the shit out of her. And she called Terry and he's like, all right, I'm coming home. He drove through the night to come home. And Shut the next- up, Gary. Terry. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> just as a side note in the book that i was reading i started looking into that and i knew that they were they in the book they like changed their name and they call them the gormans and they call them uh what are their names anyway not terry and gwen and i yeah. like was reading the book first and like going through and like writing notes and then i had to switch it all because i realized yeah. they're not their actual names and it's like i would have used pseudonyms but like their names are all over the internet like that's not a secret so i don't know yeah. why the book anyway was very annoying so like every so often i get a the gormans yeah when was the book written the book was written i think it was published in it was the early 2000s okay so after the internet so no need to change their names no no and they like they they like put themselves out there it was not they're not it's not a secret maybe it was some sort of agreement with the book i don't know yeah yeah that makes sense but anyway um he drove back and the next morning, Terry and Gwen claimed that they saw giant boot prints in the mud outside, way bigger than human size. And That's okay, so creepy. Sorry, ding, ding, ding. My skeptical brain is like, okay, where's the pictures? Yeah, I know. There's no photos of anything, right? Maybe they exist, but I have not found them. And there is some explanation for like why they weren't able to capture some stuff, but certain like, things, sure. Like if if you don't happen to have a camera on you, but but even in this happened, it started happening in 1994. Yeah. I'm sorry, would, but if, if shit like that was happening on my yeah, property, I'd have, a, have camera. a camera around my neck. Daily, yeah, of course. Of course. And some yeah. stuff I think you'll see it was, it was like literally hard to photograph and like they literally couldn't do it. But a yes. boot print, a boot yeah. print, where is the photo? I know. And maybe there is one. Someone just presented it to me because I couldn't find it. Right. Anyway, so they saw the, uh, the boot print. And this is when Gwen and Terry stopped letting their kids go out on the property at night. And also when Gwen decided to forego her evening walks, Mm. which she used to do. Apparently the most common appearance for the family, and this is super creepy, were these really, oh no, this is not the creepy part. Later there are. But there were these um, very large orange structures that would appear on the western part of the sky in the evening and at night. And all of the family saw these large orange structures all the time one time when terry was looking out to the orange structure through some binoculars he saw what looked like a window and this was at night and through the window 
um, what looked like clear blue skies on the other side as if it were daylight on the other side. Hmm. And he noticed some black figures crawling out of what looked like portals and fleeing out into the night. That's creepy. And he found that particularly freaky. I would too. Yep. One time he was looking out at the orange structure while he was in his car driving off of the property. And he noticed that when he got to the end of the property, he was no longer able to see the structure. But when he reversed back in the way he had left, he could see it. And the structure directly just the property that's cursed, basically. Yeah. So he realized the structure could only be seen from his own property. I would move. I would just move. They do. Um, So things only got worse for the family. They claimed they were seeing these large, this is the creepier part, these large creepy black figures that would roam around the property at night. Absolutely hate that. They would come right up to the house and knock on the window. And this is apparently something skinwalkers are known to do. Um, and it was terrible for the family and it made yeah. it really hard for them to sleep. Yeah. Obviously. But they ended up using all the deadbolts on the windows and the doors and they bought oh. huge guard dogs. So they ended up using all the stuff that they were like, oh, oh it was weird. I hate that. So like, here's a lesson to like, you know, look into things. If you ever happen to move somewhere like that, I mean. Like, just like look into the red flags. Don't just yeah. like, be like, mm. it's fine. So one night, Terry noticed that one of his prized Angus breeding cows, sorry, was missing from the herd. So he went looking for it in the cold and snow for hours. Finally, he saw the cow off in the distance and he went toward it and she she began to run very fast, which is strange behavior for a cow. Um, And it might have been a he because it's a breeding cow. So I don't but that's a bull. I don't know. Anyway, it was a big cow and it was running. I don't know the sex of the cow. Um, He lost track of the cow, but continued to follow on foot um, until the footprints just stopped. And he never found the cow. Poor Um, cow. So I guess the assumption is like it was abducted. Yeah. Probably. Soon more cattle started to go missing. And even worse, they would show up in various places completely mutilated. Hate that. And their wounds appeared to have been cut with like a sharp instrument and weirdly, and there was like a huge lack of blood, which um, to him, he said it looked like somebody had performed surgery on them. All right. I so hate it. So it didn't look like um, like a predator had got to them, basically. Uh, yeah. So we'll give you a little history of cattle mutilations. Oh, okay. It's kind of interesting. Um, so apparently cattle mutilations have been a thing for a really long time and they get lumped in with all sorts of like farm animal mutilations and it takes generally various forms but for our purpose we think of cattle mutilation as like the killing and mutilation of cattle under mysterious and usually bloodless circumstances that's creepy and i've got like i'll put photos up here for just you have photos of like the yeah of like random cattle mutilations Often you see specific body parts removed, including ears, eyes, tongues, and very often genitals and reproductive organs, which for a, like, and you know, sure. this is the, where you really see the difference between like an unexplained cattle mutilation and like a predatory thing. Like usually those are typically things that start to go first when, when like regular predatory animals find a dead cow that just died for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like that'll that'll be something that will be bitten off. But what makes like what when you you include it in like the mysterious cattle mutilations when it's like 
looks like somebody cut this with a knife. Like it doesn't look like it's been chomped at or whatever. Um, yeah. So in, you know, in many cases there is a real cause like animal predation. Um, but there, in a lot of these cases too, there's like this weird lack of blood um, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, or weird smells, like chemically smells. Oh. Many people started to speculate things like satanic, satanic cult activity, which is always suspected and never true. Um, yeah. Or very precise excisions. Or do you uh, think sorry. there are really just no satanic cults? No, no. There <laughs> maybe there are satanic cults, but like they just get blamed for a or yeah, especially during the like satanic panic, which I've looked heavily into. Um, there's a lot of shit gets blamed on satanic cults and like, like real Satanism, like doesn't go out and like, like people who follow like Anton LaVey or whatever, aren't going out and like mutilating cattle. They're just like having a lot of sex and like doing weird shit. Oh, you know, I just, I've literally never heard of a real satanic cult that's actually out there. Like, um, sacrificing animals and people like i'm sure they probably exist but i think on like a much lower scale than people like to blame them for yeah that makes sense because it's it's very easy like anything weird happens or like satanic cult it's definitely satanic cult yeah you know anyway i just like think it's kind of a joke it's kind of funny i know <laughs> so yeah so people would think that it was like a satanic cult or secretive governmental and military agencies and kind of and- random why they would do that but well, yeah, maybe they're t- testing different diseases. I don't fucking know. Uh, I don't yeah, but know just what like leaving the cattle around. Yeah, it doesn't. It really doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and then you know, for our cases, the assumption is extraterrestrials. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I think. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, but maybe. Don't know. Um, the first documented case goes back to 1606 in London, okay. but the phenomena became very popular in the 70s when about 15 states. Uh, there in about 15 states, there were a string of thousands of cattle mutilations. That's so weird. Experts, veterinarian and law veterinarians and law enforcement were brought in to investigate, and they concluded that a lot of these cases were not due to animal predation. And it was a pretty big deal because a lot of these ranchers believed that some they originally were of the belief that some sort of governmental conspiracy or experiment was happening. And it turned into a lot of ranchers like shooting at low flying government helicopters because they were so upset. And like, th- it's a really big deal to lose like like one entire cow. Like that's a, if, you're, if you're a cattle rancher, but multiple, like that yeah. starts to like really eat away at your entire livelihood. Mm-hmm. So it's understandable why these people were upset. Um, so a big investigation was launched by this retired FBI guy. Apparently, he did a really shitty job, said it was all due to animal predation and called it a day. And then this was the mainstream narrative going forward. And apparently to this day, it's like, it's pretty political. And it's George Knapp, who I think is writing this part, and he's a conspiracy theorist. And I think he he seems to think that, like, even veterinarians are too scared to come in and say, like, I don't think this is animal predation because they don't want to rock the boat. And so he thinks that a lot of stuff that gets labeled as animal predation is actually not and like it's kind of a mess but to this day no one has ever been caught for or charged with any sort of cattle mutilation and it largely remains a mystery and something that often gets closely associated with paranormal research and there have been accounts of people saying that they saw a cow being beamed up or abducted by ufos 
oh. etc. Which like how confusing for that poor cow. <laughs> but maybe maybe the aliens are cool to the cows before they mutilate them. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think they are. Doubt it. Doesn't, but like, doesn't sound like they are. But okay. I mean, we, we don't do much better to be honest. That's true. They're just gonna be beef and leather. So now back back to the Shermans. One of the last straws for the family happened when a big blue orb-like craft appeared on their property. And they were apparently a common occurrence for the Shermans. And they were also usually accompanied by a really intense feeling of fear and dread. Um, And I think a couple of, like, there's a lot of that kind of feeling accompanied by a lot of things. But apparently specifically with these blue orbs. Okay. But on this day... And okay, this is you're not gonna like this, but on this day, <laughs> the family's three dogs they had the, a bunch of cattle dogs. Which, oh, they had cattle dogs, which is like the perfect place to have a cattle dog. Yeah, that's true. Cattle ranch. Oh, they're such good dogs, <laughs> specifically what they're made for. Yeah, um, they're not very big though, those aren't very good, like no, guard dogs. They're, yeah, I don't know. I think he probably had cattle dogs because he had cattle, right? And like specifically, like as a herding dog, um. Because I, I think they also had other guard dogs at some point. Okay, but that makes sense. Anyway, they had a bunch of cattle dogs. And, like, Terry really liked these cattle dogs. They were awesome, dogs, obviously. Um, but this big orb came. And the dogs, at one point, ran off toward them and completely out of sight. And this was at, in the evening. And so Terry could hear them yelping out in pain. Aww. And he was like, fuck. And then it wasn't until the next day that he went out to go find them. And all he found were three mounds of ashes. Oh, my God. And in some places, they say there was, like, goopy crap in them, too. So I don't know what the fuck happened to them, but, like, that's pretty weird. They got vaporized. Yeah, that's the suggestion. Yes. Um, and so at this point, they just couldn't take it anymore. And Terry decided that they needed to sell the property. Good call rumors around the ranch and all of its paranormal happenings had started circling and even the odd person started to show up to see if they could come and explore so (laughs) terry decided that he would take it to the media he thought it would be helpful when trying to sell the place and he just wanted it all to end and it turns out this was a pretty good call and at this point too the shermans had been like tortured kids were getting bad grades in school and couldn't go to school because they couldn't sleep um Gwen, it's time to leave. Gwen had been fired from her job at a bank because she just couldn't sleep either. And like a bunch of cattle had gone missing. And like that was a huge part of how they made any money. Right. So like they were driven to the edge. So this is where Las Vegas real estate tycoon Robert Bigelow comes in. Okay. Robert Bigelow was a billionaire with a fascination with space travel, UFOs, and the paranormal. Since childhood, he had been consumed with these subjects, and now that he had a bunch of money from his successful career in real estate, he was interested in studying them properly. And so, Robert created the National Institute for Discovery Sciences, also called NIDS. Okay. NIDS was created and funded privately as a way to bring scientific river scientific rigor to the study of paranormal research. Okay. It was Nids, or Bob, who purchased Skinwalker Ranch from the Shermans for $200,000 in 1996. Nice. 
It seemed like the perfect location to set up and study all of the alleged paranormal activity and UFO sightings in one location. It was essentially their dream project. Yeah, that's like the only person in the world who would actually want that property. Yeah, and like is is basically if you're interested in studying paranormal activity, this is basically a lab setting yeah. to conduct your research. So the Shermans purchased another smaller ranch in the area, and they were very happy to be done with that place. They had lost 14 out of their herd of 80 cattle, which was a huge economic hit to their family. So they were just really happy to get their herd elsewhere. And that like 14 out of 80 to lose in the span of two years was astronomical compared to what Terry was used to losing year over year, which would have been much closer to like one, maybe two. Right. Terry, however, decided to stay on as the ranch manager at Skinwalker Ranch. He helped the crew of scientists and was there to make sure that the ranch was kept up with. And it seemed to me what I got um, was that Terry was kind of a proud man and he took a lot of pride in his work and his family. And he wanted to understand what was going on at Skinwalker Ranch and what had caused such devastation for him and his family. So I think he was very interested in like seeing what they came up with. Okay. And that's why he like stayed on and became involved. I guess I'd be curious. Because he's really involved. So Nids had purchased a number of cows and Terry brought a few of his own for them to use as bait. Um, and so this is very interesting. This whole assertion that Terry brought some cows. I was reading um, the reviews to the book that I read on Amazon. And one person noted that they were like, Terry was so upset that he lost all his cows. And like, that's why they were moving and everything. Like, why is he bringing cows back? Yeah. To get like to be used as bait. Uh, they they could not understand that. That doesn't I, track. It's unclear to me because reading it, I was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But it is unclear to me. I think there exists the possibility that Terry brought either like cows that like for whatever reason you could. I don't know if you like have like a shitty cow that you can't use. I'm not sure. And it's uh-huh. unclear to me whether or not the cows that he brought over were paid for by the NIDS team because I know okay. the NIDS team. Brought, like bought some of their own cows just to chill at the ranch. Right. Um, so to me, it makes sense if Terry was financially compensated for these cows because that's yeah. what they were doing anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's somewhat unclear and that remains like a point of skepticism, I'd say. And fair enough. So the team set up sensors, mag- uh, magnetic sensors, radiation sensors, and a lot of equipment um, in order to try to document these paranormal activities. Some members of the initial team included Colm A. Keller, who helped write the book. Um, And the first team that started there was Colm and a veterinarian and a physicist, both of whom did not wish to share their names. And it seems that like most people involved besides Colm, everyone kind of wanted to remain anonymous um, on the NITS team. So I'll just refer to most of them as their job titles from now on, except Colm, who was very outspoken and wrote a book about it. So the team began by interviewing people in the areas and in the area, other ranchers and members of the Ute tribe. And they, they learned that a lot of the neighboring ranchers had similar experiences. The team began by interviewing people in the area, other ranchers and members of the Ute tribe. 
and they learned a lot about the neighboring ranchers and that they had had similar experiences. Hmm. Um, as the Shermans, unexplained cattle mutilations, sightings of floating orbs and triangles in specific, triangles specifically. Um, and the Utes had also seen these flying objects on many occasions over the last 10 years. And of course, as I mentioned from earlier, the Utes were big believers in skinwalkers and they typically stayed far away from the cursed land in order to avoid them. I would too. Yeah, if I believed it for sure. Although again, I you'd go wanna, just I don't want to see. Yeah. I wouldn't go at night though. Yeah, definitely not. So we'll go through a little bit of this. Um, hey, bro. Adorable creature emerges. Just get, get all your licking into the mic, bud. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the mouth noises. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Tarl, you, you good? Yeah. He's going to listen. He sees eyebrows wiggling. No, uh, no dog. Nothing happens. Nothing happening to dogs in this section because then he'll stay and listen. No, just mutilated calves. Okay. That's all right. So, March 1997. I mean, he's okay with that. He's cool with that? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, March 97, the team began to set up and figure out how they were going to go about their studies. Okay. Harry advised them that they should approach this as stealthily and as quietly as they could. Whenever he had had encounters with weird stuff on the ranch, he got the feeling that whatever was out there was observing and studying them and trying to manipulate Ooh. their minds. And whenever he or his family tried to capture or go after things that they were seeing, they would just vanish. Mm. So... I think this is why we don't see a lot of photographs or like why, yeah. how they explain. I get it though, because photographs. It, yeah, but I get it because if there, if there are these entities that are kind of like above and beyond our usual, you know, our usual perception, then it would make sense that we wouldn't be able to catch them on camera. Maybe. It's possible. It's possible. That's like the oh, first cool. thing I thought of was like, where are all the photographs of this yeah. happening? constantly at least the photos of the cattle and the um the footprint like there's a few things that yeah then they do seem to like the nids team seems to capture a little bit and then we'll see like oh do they then like not really anything of interest they will get to like what they see yeah i'd love Um, to know they have a lot of claims but not a lot of proof but then there's but they have some proof Apparently, none that I've really seen. Oh, but I'll tell you their claims. Okay. Um. So yes. Um. Pretty much as soon as the team set themselves up, they started to experience a lot of things. A very strange, unexplained cattle mutilation, and this was photographed. The cattle mutilation, Ugh. um, was found missing about fifty percent of its body. Its torn limbs were laid very neatly around its body. And there was also a complete lack of blood and its ear was very precisely chopped off at the skull. And That's I think very the, creepy. the ear that was chopped off was the one that would have had the tag on it. Oh, the veterinarian on the team was certain that this could not have been the work of a predator. The same night, they also saw some large, strange looking animals off in the distance. Terry Ugh. shot both of them, but the team was never able to track them down or and they never found any tracks or blood. This was only the beginning. April 97, um, including the mutilated calf, 
five animals had gone missing from the ranch. The other okay. four without a trace. I don't know what mix of animals. Maybe there was dogs. I don't know. Sorry, Taro. Um, mm-hmm. But five in total. Okay. Later in April, four huge. And interestingly, this is what where it's like, apparently they, they called them very expensive bulls. So I don't know why they're like using expensive breeding cattle. Why don't they just use some like, I don't know, shitty other cattle? Maybe the aliens don't want those shitty cattle. What do the aliens know? Do the aliens eat beef? I don't know. I'm just saying like that is know. a point of skepticism. It does that seem I weird. Yeah. I have not found an answer for. I feel like I found answers for a lot of the skepticism, but this one I don't understand. And very, very possible there's a very logical explanation for this. Or that like something has been lost in the translation. Right. So these very expensive bulls, four of them, just disappeared out of their enclosure, which is weird because it's fenced in and there's no sign that they like barged through the fence. Yeah, that is weird. And they were found a little while later, all cramped into a very old metal trailer together and seemingly in some sort of trance. So oh, they just like weird. happened to randomly look in this little trailer. And this is like, like a, a small trailer, like how they all got crammed in there is very weird and suspicious. Yeah. When Terry banged on the side of the trailer, they all like came to and then started going nuts inside the trailer and destroying the whole entire thing. Later, the team measured the magnetic presence inside the trailer and all the levels were very highly elevated, especially Mm. when compared to the outside. And this ended up diminishing over time. And when I say it was a magnetic presence, it was like things would just stick magnetically to the inside of the trailer where they wouldn't otherwise. Weird. That's like, that to me is like such a, like, how do they even get in? Um, In May of 1997, um, the team had experienced a bunch of unexplained disturbances, all of them impossible to examine scientifically, so they say. They were really unsure what to make of all of this, and it was mostly the lack of repetition of events and how difficult things were to document that made it so difficult to study scientifically. Um, you know, we're used to like the scientific method where like you repeat things and see if you get the same outcome after repeating an experiment a number of times and you, know, right. you have a hypothesis and conclusion, whatever. This was all just like random incidents that they couldn't even really document. So it was like really hard to study in the way that they were expecting to study. So they say. In June of 1997, about a mile away from the main camp, the team found a floating orb-like object. Immediately, the dogs with them began to cower in fear. And everyone felt a dread wash over them. So they all say. Colm tried to take photos, and one of the other investigators was horrified when he says that he began to hear a voice in his head saying, quote, we're watching you. Wow. End quote. He said he felt like something had taken over his mind, and he was hearing whatever the hell it was through his mind. The guy who claimed to hear these voices in his head also claimed to see through a pair of binoculars a large, hairy, beast-like man figure with no face that had crept out of the floating orb and walked off into the distance and vanished. Very similar to what Terry saw creep out of the orange floating things a year before. Okay. And so, like, you know, they just have this one guy saying that he saw all this and, like, a couple people there kind of experienced the same thing. Interesting, but again, not really scientific. Yeah. 
July and August of 1997, the NIDS team spent most of the summer investigating the area in general. They claimed to see lots of lights appear and disappear quickly, but didn't record anything solid. One night when um, Terry and Gwen and their son were there alone, they had a really terrifying experience. What are they doing there? They Well, Terry is the ranch manager. so I Yeah, but they just keep going back there. Yeah, well, I think, like, there's times where he needs help doing things, like herding cattle or whatever. Like, I just wouldn't want to go back. Yeah. Well, see, that's where I disagree with you. I think it would be really cool. It's like you don't have to live there. You don't have to, like, have, like, your whole life run by it. That's true. And then you can kind of give some expertise. And he also was really good at ranching. So I'm sure they pay. And it's, like, this billionaire guy doing it. I'm sure he was paid well. It's, like. Right. Everything has a, has a price, right? And at least they're, like, kind of used to it, and they have, like, the extra protection of this very wealthy scientific crew. I don't know. Yeah. And they're probably like, what the hell is going on? And, like, very yeah. curious, right? I'd be so curious. Anyway. Um, so apparently their cattle had been spooked so badly that they a, a number of them had broken through the barbed wire fence. Actually, I think all of them. And they – just scattered and so terry and his son tried to herd them back on horseback and they noticed these small blood red balls that kept flying at them and it was like they were trying to attack them and so they they thought that clearly this is what had been spooking the cows and why they had dispersed it took them seven hours to get the herd back together and they lost a cow and a calf and a few others sustained injuries And when the family got back to the homestead, they noticed a baseball-sized blue floating orb. They watched it silently and all claimed that they got the feeling that it was watching them. By the end of the summer of 1997, the NIDS team was getting very frustrated. They had definitely experienced a lot of unexplained UFOs, and two investigators even claimed to see that faceless, giant, hairy, man-like thing. Mm-hmm. And something akin to a giant Bigfoot. But their photography was sketchy at best. They had nothing quantifiable to show for their work. And um, the most they really had were photos of cattle mutilations, which were hardly anything new. It seemed like whatever was there was very good at evading capture. And they thought that they were basically being outsmarted by aliens. Um, so the team decided it was time to set up surveillance cameras. Which I don't know why they never did that before, but yeah, okay, they decided to set them up. So they chose a spot that had been a hotbed for strange activity. They set up four cameras to silently record the entire area 24 7. Okay. For one year, they caught nothing. And then in July of 1998, Terry noticed that one of the cameras had been vandalized, it had been taken apart and the wiring messed with in a very precise manner. And after reviewing the camera that pointed at the vandalized camera, so there was three cameras and then another camera that faced the three cameras. Mm -hmm. Um, So after reviewing the camera that was pointed at the other cameras that remained recording the entire time, they were super confused. Their other camera was recording the entire time that the other cameras had shut off. And the red recording light of those cameras that shut off shut off at about 830 proving that that's when they stopped working. Mm -hmm. 
but they caught nobody or nothing actually doing the vandalizing. And it was like, it was a very, it was like, there was like duct tape wrapped around wires and it had all been like removed, like very meticulously. Like it couldn't have been like an animal that did it. It was weird. Removed. Um, All three cameras remained recording for eight months. Then in April of 1999, Terry was still working on the ranch and he was there one day with Gwen and they were looking over at the corral that they kept a few horses in. And suddenly Gwen noticed something very strange. There was a big, weird looking animal in the horse corral, nipping at and bothering the horses. Terry and Gwen were horrified. And described the beast-like creature as having a long and uh, having a long and bushy fox-like tail, with a body that looked kind of like a hyena. Okay, so fucking weird. Yeah, it was super gross-looking and scary, and had short, stubby legs. And as soon as Terry ran toward it, he said that it ran away and then vanished into thin air. Okay. This creature was seen by other people on the ranch, and they all gave the exact same description as Terry. Weird. Multiple people said that they saw something specifically hyena-like. It's always weird when multiple people see it. And there are no hyenas in Utah. Uh, Yeah, and they're not, like, talking to each other about it. No. Like, they're separately each. That's pretty weird. Yes. So, 1999 to 2004. It seemed like after this time... Really after the summer of 97, not too much occurred. The cameras remained, but they maybe caught a dozen or so possible UFO sightings, although none of them could be ruled out as just like regular FOs, flying objects. And that's pretty easy to, you know, if it's just lights. Yeah, exactly. Anything. And the weird animal encounters happened, but with no real frequency or repetition that they could document. And it seemed just impossible to study in any sort of scientific measure. Right. The team thought the team like got together and they thought about what they could have done differently. As I said before, when they first spoke with Terry, he advised them to be as stealth as possible to avoid, avoid using large mas- machinery and stuff. He felt that was that whatever was out there was very cautious and didn't want to be captured. And anytime yeah. that he and his family tried to document stuff, it would just disappear. But the team did not listen to this. And it's kind of unclear that they could have given their intended purpose, in my opinion. Like, I don't know how you study something scientifically without trying to capture it. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, like, it just was a lost cause from the beginning. There was this theory that whatever is out there and in and around the Skinwalker Ranch, that it might be smarter than, than its team could have imagined. And maybe they were studying the humans that inhabited the ranch. And maybe they were better at it than the human science team. Maybe. And, you know, that kind of goes with the theory that uh, that guy Hicks had at the beginning, that, like, the reason this is, like, a hotbed for UFO activity is that, like, it's their own research project. And, like, maybe they just have, like, better equipment. So the team continued to study the land and they started looking into other areas of the country that had similar experiences. There was another town in New Mexico called Dulce, and that also seems to be a huge hotspot for UFO sightings. Like the Uinta Basin, Dulce is a very small place and it is home to mostly Native Americans, the Jicarilla Apache. Okay. Jicarilla. Jicarilla. Jicarilla Apache, I think is 
what we'll go with. Um, Dulce lies in a valley, kind of like the Uinta Basin, and is surrounded by mountains like the Uinta Basin. The NIDS team spent some time in Dulce and came back with a lot of firsthand accounts of stories of eerily similar things happening on Skinwalker Ranch. Um, the NIDS team continued to investigate at the ranch and do their thing, but still no real conclusions came out of it, although everyone involved knew and believed that this place was UFO central. So pretty much everyone on the NIDS team after studying there was like, this is UFO territory. There's a lot of shit going on here. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about, um, I watched this interview with Colm, who was one of the writers of the book. And he had a lot to say about all this stuff. Um, the book, oh, here, this book was published in 2005. Okay. And as a result of the book, the U.S. military actually became interested in the ranch. Oh. There was a member of the Defense Intelligence Agency who apparently read the book while um, on a tour of Afghanistan and started to explore the idea that these entities and floating ships in particular could be considered a threat to national security. So they ended up sending a guy from the DIA to go and see the ranch. And he was only there for a few hours. But in that time, he claimed to have had an unexplainable experience himself. Oh, he claimed that he was like in one of the homesteads. So there's like a bunch of like little buildings on the ranch itself. And they call them homesteads. Mm -hmm. Um, And he claimed he was in there. And like he turned around and saw this like structure just like appear out of nowhere and then disappear weird so that's his claim okay um less than one year later the dia created a 22 million dollar program called the advanced aerospace threat in advanced aerospace threat identification program okay there's a lot of it's kind of sketchy trying to figure out how this all worked but from what i gather it started up in 2007 and ended in 2012, and Robert Bigelow and the Skinwalker Ranch appeared to have been involved. It was publicized in 2017, and in 2020, the government acknowledged that a similar military program was continuing called the Unidentified Aerial uh, Phenomena Task Force under the United States Office of Naval Intelligence. Okay. Since then, it has become clear to the public that UFOs seem to exist. Not only that, but the United States government seems to take these phenomena seriously and spends ample time and money trying to figure out what exactly they're dealing with. Here is Obama basically um, admitting that they're studying UFOs. What is true, uh, and I'm, I'm actually being serious here, is, is that uh, there are uh, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain uh, how they moved, their trajectory. Uh, they, they did not have um, an easily explainable pattern. Do aliens exist or extraterrestrials or other um, species that live in space. I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about that. But yeah. what we do know is that there are unidentified flying objects that have been found and studied and are yet to be explained. Even after the military, the or the, the United States government has thrown millions upon millions of dollars at trying to research this, and still, maybe they have answers that they're just not telling us. But 
Yeah, that's kind of what I think. It seems to be it seems to be that unidentified flying objects exist. A lot of money has been spent trying to study them. That's what I know. That's what I know is fact. Everything else, there's a lot of theories, and the theories are super interesting. But that's what we know. Yeah. So, enter Brandon Fugel. Okay. So we're still not at the end of the Skinwalker Ranch because in 2015, the ranch was purchased by a company called Adamantium Holdings. Mm -hmm. And Adamantium, I don't remember what it is, some sort of like Marvel name or something, some sort of franchise I'm not interested in. I'm Uh, sure I'll sound stupid saying this. But anyway, it was like a weird name for a company. It was a holding company. And it was purchased for $4.5 million. And this was at at the time, Adamantium Holdings was a shell company of unknown origins. Hmm. Years later, after the History Channel got a hold of the mystery owner of the company and convinced him to let them film a documentary series on the ranch, we did learn that the man behind Adamantium Holdings is a man named Brandon Fugel. Okay. And this whole thing about History Channel approaching him, this is Brandon Brandon's um, story. Like this is what he says happened. Okay. And as we'll see, there's like there's a lot of skepticism about Brandon. So. Hmm. I watched an interview with him and like, this is what he said happened. So Brandon or uh, Brandon is a super successful Utah Mormon real estate billionaire with an interest in paranormal things. He says he was approached by some scientific advisors who talked to him about purchasing the ranch and continuing to study it. Brandon was convinced and said that he approached the entire thing with in a very skeptical manner, thinking that in all likelihood it was, there was a logical explanation for all of these phenomena at the ranch. Okay. Before acquiring Skinwalker Ranch, Brandon said he'd never seen a UFO or had any sort of paranormal experience of any kind. Brandon has since allowed the History Channel to document their studies at Skinwalker Ranch. He said that he had two major stipulations when he agreed to help create the secret of Skinwalker Ranch, the series. Okay. One that only his team be used in the show, the History Channel could not put out casting calls or have any of their own scientists or experts or actors. And two, that they would not be allowed to contrive anything that didn't actually happen. And Brennan wanted complete veto power on all of the final cuts to ensure that that this would be maintained. And this was them, according to him, coming to him because at the time, nobody knew who he was. They just knew that somebody bought the ranch and he wanted his identity to remain anonymous okay and they were like we want to do a show about the ranch and we want you to to show your face and say who you are and so he was he was unconvinced and then finally they talked to him and he was like okay if you do these two things then i'll do it according to brandon this was agreed to and so far brandon and the history channel have put out two seasons of the show and it is very popular Okay. Brandon says he's no longer a skeptic and he claims to have had many experiences with UFO and paranormal activity on the ranch. Hmm. And random fact, Post Malone, recording artist uh, and alleged UFO enthusiast, got a tour of Skinwalker Ranch with Brandon. I've got some photos really? of it. Looks like the two guys had a really good time. <laughs> Looked like fun. Okay. Um, I You're do jealous. Have- you want that tour. I do. I'm just not a super popular rapper with face tattoos. I have another link. Oh, there's another little video I want to show. Okay. Um, but it looks okay. like they have documented some actual stuff. Um, okay. This is like take take three minutes and watch this. Um, this is an example of the show. 
That's the tree that we found the cow by, right there. Right, right out here. Yeah. Is that black object the cow? Mm -hmm. the, yeah, that's it, Tom. The cow is right here. What we'll do is go forward very slowly and watch what happens with her. Watch how she moves. It's interesting. Now you see the cow starts yeah. to get up. And I'm going to do this uh, very slowly, frame by frame, so we can watch what's happening with her. So here, I can't help but also notice that there's something happening here. Yo, yeah, there whoa, look at that. There. Look at that. It looks like an object. You can tell they're so happy they saw the object. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, you don't have to watch. Like, that's basically like the gist of it. That's um, something. But yeah, like the show seems to be like like really fun and like it's, you know, it's like a team of scientists and um, there's, they like go out to different areas on the ranch. Remember, the ranch is huge. It's enormous. Right. Um, it's 512 acres. So there's lots of different areas. And I I watched this one clip where they got um, some indigenous guy. I don't know if, I assume he was a Ute guy, but I don't think it really said. Um, and like he came onto the land and like they did some ceremony to like see if it was okay to start digging because one of the reasons um, the digging is not cool there is like the native people believe that if you dig like you could dig up something bad. Yeah, essentially, it's kind of unclear what exactly. Um, I mean, but I wouldn't risk it. That's like I guess like the theory behind them not wanting the Shermans to be digging on the ranch. Um, but we know that they were because they were digging for posts or whatever. Right. But, um, yeah, and, like, the the guy who was doing the ceremony and stuff, like, he's, he's like, I don't know, guys. Like, there's – I don't know if you should be digging here, but we'll see. Um, But, yeah, so the, the show seems kind of cool. I actually kind of want to watch it, but, again. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. Be another – it's always another 10 bucks, and then it never ends with these subscriptions <laughs> subscriptions um but yeah it seems like um brandon's team is doing better with getting some stuff but it's still like not so uh so much evidence that it's like overwhelming right um but they claim that there's a lot of shit going on and i guess you'd have to watch the series to know like what exactly they have but that's basically the story and i think it's important to also raise some skeptical voices about this whole thing um um so one of their the chief skeptics is a man named robert schaefer okay. robert is a paranormal researcher and ufo skeptic he is famously quoted as saying this quote the phenomena at Skinwalker Ranch is almost certainly illusory. Illusory? Illusionary. Illusory. I think it's yeah. illusory. Not only was the years-long monitoring of Skinwalker by NIDS unable to obtain proof of anything unusual happening, but the people who owned the property prior to the Shermans, a family whose members lived there for 60 years, denied that any mysterious phenomena of any kind occurred there. End quote. Um, yeah, I mean, explain all the deadbolts on the doors and the chains for the large dogs. Yeah. And I guess his, his take would have to be that like the Shermans made that up. Yeah. Um, yeah Cause yeah. he also notes that 
Many of the more extraordinary claims originated solely from Terry Sherman, who worked as a caretaker after the ranch was sold to Bigelow. So I think some of the main claims, because I also looked at some other people who were like, had like skeptical, like random people who were like, this is why I'm skeptical of it. Um, And a lot of it stems from Terry being the originator of saying shit was happening. Yeah. Um, And like, it's true, but it's like, I don't think Terry like made any money off it. I think if anything, he lost money with his cattle being lost and like selling right. the ranch. Like, I don't know how much like fame or money he's got. Yeah, like what out would of this. really be his incentive for that? Um, it is possible that maybe he thought he would, um, maybe, but then just didn't. But like, clearly, the biggest winner of anyone is Bigelow, who bought it for two hundred thousand and sold it for four point five million. Yeah. Although, who knows how much money he spent on the investigation? Maybe in the end, it really right. was a losing uh, thing for him. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the main things. And then there's there's like apparently, um, like a cousin or a brother or something of one of the people who was who owned the ranch before, saying that they never, um, experienced anything. But it's like to me, it's sketchy because like you weren't there so what do you know and right. also if the whole dead bolts and everything were true then probably they did and apparently they didn't even live on the ranch so there's that and then on top of that it seemed like it was a kind of a taboo thing to be spreading around in that community especially right. in the time that they owned the ranch so maybe they were experiencing things but didn't want to say it yeah um so there's definitely debate about that um yeah, a lot of the skeptics mentioned that the NIDS team were there for 10 plus years and basically had nothing to show for it. Fair. Um, then there, what is this? Then a number of people on the NIDS board who seem to be known pseudoscience pushers and or fraudsters, including a man named Hal Puthoff, mm-hmm. um, who is an ex-scientologist and directed a program that looked into psychic abilities and like, I think they kind of like propped up this guy who turned out to be a major fraud um, and other like kind of adjacent people like that who sat on the board of NIDS. So people mm-hmm. were like really nitpicky at that. Yeah. And then now there's a lot of people who criticize Brandon Fugel and, you know, they frame it in this way. They frame it that Brandon Fugel um, bought the ranch and then and they believe that he did this intending to make a reality show. So I kind of oh. said that it was a documentary series, but other people call it a reality show. And I think both of them have very differing connotations. Yeah. Um, but like I watched this one guy's video and he talked about, he's like, it's just, uh, you know, as soon as he started a reality show, then it was obvious that he's just trying to make money. Um, so it's like, do you, do we take at face value what Brandon says that he bought the ranch in a very skeptical way? And then it was the history channel that approached him. And he said that he wanted everything to be super truthful. And, you know, the, he originally didn't want his identity to be attached to the Skinwalker ranch because he has like for 95% of his time and job goes into commercial real estate. And does he want right. to be associated with, ufos and some weird ranch so that's why initially he did this anonymously but they convinced him apparently to put his face on the documentary i think he's one of the executive producers on the show um so it's like you know it's a he said like maybe he's lying about that um but that is his version of events um and you know you can't read people's minds so who knows 
I did. I like searched really hard to see if I could find any solid like skepticism of the ranch. And I uh-huh. did find, I did find this was super nerdy. Um, but it was like this like web. I guess it was like a meeting of these guys who like they recorded it and put it on YouTube. But it was like guys who like specialized in whatever whatever field it is that uses and specializes in the like machines that they used on the show. And okay. they were like explaining the science of like how they were using these like radiation machines that and I don't it was completely over my head and I found it so boring that it was hard to pay attention. Yeah. But it was like machines that would like detect stuff underneath the ground and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it wouldn't make it past the shale. Like and I had no idea what they were talking about. But they seem to have seemingly legit criticisms of the way the machinery was used in the show. So I think, you know, who knows? And who knows if they were just being dicks. They seemed really dickish. Yeah. Um, or if it was, you know, they're, I don't know if they were like geologists or whatever. I had no idea. I really tried to get into it, but it was so boring. And it was like too many inside jokes that I didn't get. Um, but they were like going through footage of the show and being like, they wouldn't, they would, wouldn't use it like that. I couldn't detect what they're saying. So it's possible that they are um seeing that all they're seeing all this like radiation and like their machines stop working and this and that when it's not really true i have no idea um that's basically the story of skinwalker ranch to this day i think it's still being studied and to this day it's uh to me a mystery but seems like there's something to it i would say so for sure yeah I feel like when so many different people all have accounts of something happening, there's something to it. I don't know what that is, but. Yeah, I would agree. And I think this is such an interesting spot specifically because there's so many different things. Yeah, that's true. There's orbs and UFOs and then there's weird animal things. And, uh, you know, there's some people who would say it's a skinwalker and some people who say that there's a Bigfoot. And yeah, that's true. It's like just a lot of stuff um and clearly just a lot of money being poured into it too yeah so i really don't know what i think about it i think it it, like it can't be just nothing it can't be just made up i just think there's too much for me to think that it's just like a hoax or like a military experiment i agree that i don't think it's a hoax but and I, the the series to the History Channel series that is put out, I've like read a lot of people's thoughts about it. And it's like either people are like, I love the show. It's so great. And like really believers in it or people being like, it's totally fake. It's a reality show, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to know. It's hard to know anything like what what is what. Yeah. Especially is. and this is why I think studying like paranormal stuff and UFOs is like such a frustrating but also fascinating uh form of study because yeah it's just like okay maybe still maybe like we're studying it for years maybe i don't know and unless you really have like a ton of you know money and and equipment to put into it it's hard to really know yeah and then i mean even then it kind of seems to like be in a way the like equipment is a hindrance to studying it yeah 
at least in this case. Yeah, so creepy. So yeah, I'm super interested to hear other people's thoughts on this, people who listen yeah. to it. Um, and typically we do like murdery stuff. And yeah, I was going to say, this is kind of different. There's no human us. murders. Um, but I am really interested in in getting into some more like paranormal stuff and like hauntings and um, stuff like that. So if that's yeah. of interest to you, g- give us a thumb up, thumbs up. If you hated it, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll talk think, about more murders. Don't I worry. think we'll mostly talk about murders, but like throw in a little, a little something weird every so often. Yeah, let us know if you're interested. And also let us know if you know a really good case of either paranormal or alien type activity because we could use more suggestions. Yeah, there's one thing that I'm interested in looking into, but I did I started to and I found it a a bit of a hard time, but the Dybbuk box. Hmm. Know about that one? Nope. Seems like it was like haunted box. If anyone knows anything about that send info my way because i heard about it and it sounds super fucked and super haunted that i would not want to be around i'll tell you that okay yeah me neither Um, i don't even know what it is but i can just tell yeah you know it's fucked anyway um yeah so please please uh reach out to us uh instagram our twitter is set up now we have 10 followers um (laughs) um like and read and subscribe to us that would be super dope and please stay safe out there because you never know who's knocking goodbye this podcast is produced in collaboration with lost line media artwork by august digital music by matthew cook